All right, well, let's open with a word of prayer. We'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We ask now, Lord, as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us tonight. Lord, there's so much to learn from this chapter. So often we see the same cycle. Godly men beginning well and then failing at the end. And Lord, I pray for each person who is here tonight that we would not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. And Lord, we would not fall into that same trap we see throughout these books of the Bible, walking with the Lord for a lifetime and then falling apart. So Lord, be our teacher, minister to everyone who's here. I pray if anybody's new, they would feel welcomed and loved. We pray also for those watching via live stream all over the country. May you minister to them. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So as we've been going through 2 Chronicles, First and 2 Chronicles, quick reminder, was a letter written to the children of Israel, actually from Judah specifically, who've been in bondage for 70 years in Babylon. Now they're returning to Jerusalem and they're being given instruction, basically a history lesson of what took place in Jerusalem and also mainly in, in Jerusalem and, Ju and Judah, partially in Israel from before they were there. So many of them don't know the history and they're getting a history lesson. First Chronicles really focused on King David. Second Chronicles began with King Solomon and we've been moving through all the different kings. Now what we have seen, all the kings in Israel are evil and some of the kings in Judah are evil and some of them are godly. But here's the thing we've been seeing the last several weeks in a row. Guys starting really, really well. Beginning of the chapter, it says, and they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And you've seen them doing all these wonderful and godly things. They're honoring the Lord. They're tearing down the idols. They're serving God faithfully. And then you get towards the end of the chapter and you see them fall away. And it's so heartbreaking. But, and you know, here's the reality. I want to say this for all of us. When somebody falls away, so often that's the definition of their whole life. When you hear about somebody that faithfully served the Lord, it could even be for decades, but at the end of their life, if they fall, if they fell away, that's what they remember. I have pastor friends who are pastors for 30 years. They committed adultery. They're out of ministry. Their marriages have fallen apart. And when someone says their name, they don't think about 30 years of ministry. They think about the fact that they fell in the end. And so sadly, we're going to see that again tonight. Uh, this is a guy who is during the time of him serving, it was the beginning of the ministry of Isaiah. We all know who Isaiah is. And Isaiah says in chapter 6, verse 1 of this man, he says, in the day that King Uzziah died, the people saw the Lord. We're going to see that Uzziah is going to begin as a wonderful king. He's going to bring uh, restoration because his own father, we'll talk about this, his own father had lost in battle. The, he went out and fought against Israel. He was killed. And it, that Israel had torn down most of the wall that surrounded Jerusalem. So now his son comes along at 16 years old, and we're going to see that he's going to step up. And in the beginning, he's not focused on himself. He doesn't act like a king who needs to be praised. But sadly, we're going to see at the end of the chapter, he's going to fall into the same trap that so many others have. So if you have your outline, grab it. I tell the message, humble success or prideful destruction. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. And the Bible also says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
And one of the sad things about pride is we all struggle with it to some degree from time to time. And the scariest thing about pride is we can be so prideful that we think we're not prideful. We can be so filled with ourselves that we think we're not. So quickly, the outline, I've got five points tonight. Again, humble success or prideful destruction. Number one, seek the Lord and prosper. We're going to see, now again, this is not the prosperity doctrine where you claim stuff and you say Cadillac, 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 and it shows up in your driveway. That's not what it's talking about. This is talking about faithfully serving the Lord and God will bless you and God will use you for his glory. What a wonderful thing that is. Never stop seeking the Lord and his divine will. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Spend time with the Lord in his presence every day. Number two, focus on caring for others, not promoting yourself. You've all heard my acronym for joy. It's not original with me. Jesus, others, yourself, right? Put Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Sadly, too many people have yoj, amen, because they're so focused on themselves. And as believers, we should focus on caring for others, not promoting ourselves. Be faithful to God's calling. Don't be moved by the praise of men. Live for the Lord. Be faithful to minister to the needs of those that you are called to lead. Everybody in this room is a leader in some part of your life, whether it's with friendships or where you work or the school that you go to, when you walk into the room, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. And if you're parents, you certainly uh, have leadership there. Number three, remain humble, broken, and usable. Be prepared for a daily battle with the enemy. We're going to see that King Uzziah is going to be ready to fight the enemy. And as believers, we need to be prepared that we're fighting a spiritual battle every single day. We don't address Satan. We leave him in God's hands. But we need to be prepared. Resist the devil and he will what? He'll flee from you. So we need to be people who are focused on the Lord and prepared for the daily battle. Never lose sight of the fact that every good and perfect gift comes from above. So remain humble and that all the glory, honor, and praise belongs to the Lord. Point number four. Know that pride will lead to destruction and defeat. So Uzziah is going to be doing so amazing, and it's so heartbreaking. The first 15 verses, he looks as good of a king as King David. He's such a godly man. He's doing everything seemingly in the right way. And all it takes is one moment, one decision that he's going to make that is going to take him down for the rest of his life. He's going to spend the last 11 years of his life isolated and alone because of the choice he makes tonight. Pride goes before destruction. And finally, sin separates and isolates, and that's what's going to happen to King Uzziah. So let's begin there in verse 1, looking at humble success or prideful destruction, beginning with seek the Lord and prosper. It says, now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. Now, if you guys remember Amaziah, Amaziah was an ungodly man. Amaziah failed miserably. What Amaziah did, if you guys remember, if you guys were here a couple weeks ago, that he was faithfully serving the Lord, and then all of a sudden he won a battle that God allowed him to win. He brought back the false gods of the people that he defeated, set him up, and started worshiping them. Started worshiping them. So God gave him the victory, over these people who were idolaters, he brought their idols home and started worshiping them, and God took him out. Now, actually, the people took him out, but it was God's plan. Now, the way this is worded, it, it sounds to me, and when I look in the original language, 
that they had a choice of who they wanted to make king. And they decided amongst all of themselves to pick the 16-year-old son of the king that had just failed miserably. Now, sometimes you might think, how crazy would it be to have a 16-year-old leading your country? Right about now, I think I'd take one. Anybody in the youth group? I, I vote for you for president right now. I'll trade you in. I'd rather have a 16-year-old who loves God than anybody else who doesn't. Amen? Now, Uzziah's name means my strength is Jehovah. In 2 Kings, he's also referred to as Azariah, which is Jehovah has helped. So he's going to take the throne at 16 years old. He's been given a godly name at birth. They took uh, his father, uh, again, Amaziah, captive after he disregarded God's commands. It even says of his dad that the anger of the Lord was aroused against him. By the way, you don't ever want that. You don't want the anger of the Lord aroused against you, amen? And sadly, that's what happened with his dad. So now Uzziah's taking over. And the easiest thing for him to do would be following the pattern of his father. And I think that as we watch people, we should learn, we can learn both things to do and things not to do. We're actually going to see that in the next chapter. When we get to chapter 27, when the one who follows King Uzziah is faithful to the Lord throughout his entire life. He's going to learn from his dad's good, both good and bad example. Now, if I was Uzziah, I'm not sure, sure I'd be excited to be king because the last four kings in a row have all been killed. And most of them got in trouble, got killed, put to death. Most of them didn't reign very long. But what we're going to see tonight is that he's going to reign for 52 years. 52 years. It says that's such a long time. And the one of the reasons that he reigned so long is most of his life, he's going to be a very, very faithful king. So they made Uzziah king. And again, his grandfather, Joash, was uh, the little baby that had been rescued from wicked Athaliah, yet he was killed when he rebelled against the Lord. And then the same thing with Amaziah, who rebelled against the Lord, and he was killed as well. And so now he's becoming king, both his father and his grandfather's footsteps. And it seems like in the beginning, he's learned a lot by watching their failures, and he doesn't want to be like them. Verse 2. And it says there in verse 2, he built Elath and restored it, to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Elath, this is part, uh, a port down by the Red Sea, and it belonged to the Edomites in those days. Modern day Israel, there's a place called Elot. It's still there and it's part of Israel. And it's a beautiful resort city. It was a shipping port, a, strat a strategic place for trade, and it was significant for Judah. And Uzziah recaptures it. It was lost to the Edomites because of the unfaithfulness of previous kings. And this 16-year-old, he takes over. He goes back and takes the city away that had been captured. Right off the bat, what we're going to see him doing is kind of fixing the things where his dad failed. Where his dad allowed the walls to be taken down by Israel, he's going to rebuild them. Where the people stopped trusting, he's going to build back trust. Where they were struggling in other ways, we're going to see that King Uzziah is going to be a different man. And certainly, if you cut out the last few verses of the book, of the chapter, excuse me, you would think he was one of the most amazing kings that Israel ever had. Verse 3 says, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah, 
of Jerusalem. So he reigns 52 years. This is one of the longest reigns of any king in the Bible. He brought tremendous stability and prosperity to Judah during his reign. And his mom's name is Jehovah is Abel. So his mom is Jehovah is Abel. He's got two names that both point to Jehovah. His dad, again, Amaziah, had started well, but after defeating the Edomites, brought their gods home, set them up to be his gods and bowed down before them. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against him. And Uzziah had witnessed firsthand his father doing what was right. And then he also saw his father arousing the anger of the Lord. Again, experience is the best experience. It doesn't have to be our experience. We can learn from the examples of others. One of the great things about the Bible, one of the many, many great things about the Bible is God does not hide the frailties of its heroes. Amen? Everybody in the Bible used mightily suffers greatly. Very few, do you see, don't have flaws mentioned. Daniel's one where you see no, we know he's a sinner because everyone is. But if everybody in the Bible was Daniel, we might all be just want to give up, right? I mean, praise God that we see that God can use people who are flawed, which means he can use people like us. So Uzziah is only 16 years old. So what kind of man? What kind of king is he going to be? Verse four. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Now that's a mixed message because Amaziah started well. Amaziah was honoring God. Amaziah won battles. Do you remember that he actually had borrowed soldiers from another people to fight in the war with him? And God told him not to, to give them back. And he gave them back. And then he went and fought the battle and won it. And he was honoring the Lord for a time. But then when he fought the Edomites and won the battle, he started worshiping their gods. The problem with Amaziah, it tells us in the text in chapter 25, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Guys, it's not just doing what is right. It's having a heart to honor God. Amen? Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on, the, on your heart. And it's not just the words that we say or the actions that we produce, but a real believer, it's going to be seen in your heart. It's going to be pouring out at the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. The reign of Uzziah was largely characterized by the good he did in the sight of the Lord. His godliness was rewarded with 52 years reigning. So he comes to the throne at a very difficult time. At 16 years old, he's following the tragic events that brought the death of his own father. Jerusalem was in disarray. A major section of the wall surrounding the city had been destroyed by their battle with Israel. And Uzziah is stepping into a big mess left by both his grandfather and his father. Some of the people from Judah had been taken away as hostages by Israel but he seems to come by the throne, not in a way of ordinary succession, but being chosen by the people. So notice it says there, now all the people of Judah took Uzziah. The idea that the king could be chosen by the will of the people was never entirely lost on Judah. So he does what is right, much like his father Amaziah. And sadly, he's not going to be as bad as Amaziah in the end, but pretty close. He sadly is going to make one disastrous choice that is going to bring an end to his reign. He's going to spend 11 years in a leper colony by himself because he makes 
an ungodly choice. The Bible tells us that the way of the transgressor is hard. And, you know, as believers, I think I shared this with you recently. I don't think the biggest problem in America, or even amongst believers, is that not that we don't love God. I think it's that we don't fear God enough. Amen? Well, you can say, well, I love God, but then you just live an ungodly life. Well, I love Jesus. He died on the cross for me. I love him. But do you have godly fear? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? We need to fear God. We need to have reverence for God. We need to honor God. Why? Because he knows what's best for us. A lot of kids today, the way they talk to their parents, not so much. My grandson, I had to correct him. He was calling an adult. He was like, hey, bro. I'm like, he's not your bro. You don't call him bro. You call him sir. You call him something else or dude. One of my boys called me dude. I'm like, do that again. <laughs> You'll find out about dude. Can I get him into that? There's a, a lack of, kind of a lack of reverence. And we've lost sight of that. Amen. But part of that is because kids are not being raised to honor and respect their elders, and they need to be taught. They need to be, you know, raise up a child in a way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So we need to teach them. We need to raise them right. And notice what it says here. So here's, his dad's dead. Amaziah's dead. So here, we've got this young man, Uzziah, 16 years old, and he's been anointed king. The walls are down. Israel has attacked. We're going to see there's shortage on food to some degree. And we're going to see that the army needs to be rebuilt. And this 16-year-old kid is going to hit the ground running. And he's going to start being faithful and honoring the Lord. Notice what happens here in verse 5. It says, He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So what made him prosper? He did what? He sought the Lord. As he sought the Lord, God blessed him. As he was seeking God, God blessed him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Again, my dad was a very strict man growing up. He was in the Marines, and when he asked me to do something, it was yes, sir. Not in a minute. I'd have never said that ever, ever. That belt would have been out of those loops in three seconds. Anybody else ever heard that before? <laughs> Out it comes. But there's an awe and a reverence and a respect. And again, I think part of the reason that a lot of young people, they don't respect their parents. So they're certainly don't re- not going to honor and respect God. And they don't respect the police. They don't respect their teachers. And we need to train them. So here we have this young man and he's, he's looking for answers. His dad's not around. So he, he kind of connects himself with Zechariah. And Zechariah is a godly man. And so he's going to seek counsel from a godly man. He's going to be surrounded by somebody who hears from the Lord, has visions from God. And you know what? You become like who you hang out with. And if your dad's not godly, your mom's not godly, find someone who is. Amen? And and pray for your parents, but be around those who have a deep relationship with the Lord. As a young king, Uzziah sought and heeded godly counsel. Zechariah understood visions. And in those days, Joel, Amos, Hosea were all prophesying at that time. So he's got a lot of people that he can receive godly counsel from. So as long as he sought the Lord, the Lord made him prosper. You hear me say this all the time. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. The highest form of worship is obedience. God knows what is best for us. He wants to keep us from harm, not keep us from fun. Amen? 
And so when he gives us direction, we need to trust him. The one thing about my dad, when he would say no, I knew that my dad was a lot smarter than me. And I knew that he knew what was best for me. I didn't always understand why he said no, but I trusted the love that he had for me. The key to a faithful and fruitful walk is to seek the Lord, to pursue him, to spend time with him, to have fear of God, to pray, to be in the word, to be in fellowship, surrender your will to his, become a tool in the hand of the master. Notice it says there, as long as he's doing what? As he sought the Lord. Guys, we don't just seek him for a minute. We keep seeking the Lord. It should never stop. You should wake up in the morning and the Lord should be the first thing you think of. Yes, Lord, your servant hears. Amen? And all day long, seeking the Lord, spending time in his presence, putting God on speakerphone and just talking to him all day long, being in the word. When you're in your car, listen to messages or Christian music. Surround yourself with other people that can encourage you in your faith. As soon as we become prideful or self-sufficient, we cease to be useful for the kingdom of God and our lives become fruitless. As soon as you think you've arrived, as soon as you think you've got it all figured out, as soon as you're the one telling everyone else how they need to live their life in a sense, right? Like you've made it. Here's the reality. I want you to know that every one of us is a sinner saved by grace. Amen? And every one of us, take heed lest ye fall. I've shared this with you many times. Pastor Chuck at every pastor's conference at some point would do a message and he'd say, everybody look around. There'd be like 2,500 pastors there. And he'd say, look around. Some of you won't be here next year because some of you are going to fall. Some of you, and he'd teach a message on touch not the wine, touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the glory. Because take heed lest you fall. Nobody in this room is above falling. Amen. And it's when you think you cannot fall that you're in the most danger of falling. And so the exhortation here is keep seeking the Lord. Keep pursuing the Lord. Don't ever think that you've arrived. Don't ever think that you're as godly as you need to be. We should all desire to be closer to God tomorrow than we are today. Amen? We should never be satisfied with where we are in our walk with God. Again, as soon as we become prideful or self-sufficient, we cease to be useful in the kingdom of God, and our lives become fruitless. You all know this verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We don't seek the stuff, we seek the Lord, and God takes care of the rest. Amen? Give me somebody who's got a passion for God, that is seeking the Lord, that is hungry to know him better, and that's a man or a woman that God will use. So point number one, seek the Lord and prosper. Surrender your life fully to him. Point number two, focus on caring for others, not promoting self. Let's begin there. Verse six. It says, now he went out and made war against the Philistines. Ever heard of the Philistines? Who's the most famous Philistine? Who is it? Goliath. So these are ancient enemies going back hundreds of years to even before King David came along. So we fast forward hundreds of years, and I love that we have this young man who goes out to fight the ancient uh, you know, enemies of Israel and to take care of them. And I love that he went out 
No doubt, again, seeking godly wisdom and direction, he sought the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jebna and the wall of Ashdod and built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. He took captive the two biggest cities of the Philistines. And then he built walls around those areas and claimed them for himself. Guys, one of the ways that we can have a victorious Christian walk is we got to put the flesh to death. Amen? We got to take those things, those, those enemies, those things that drag us away, those things that draw us back into sin and destroy them, put them to death. Amen? And the enemy will try to bring back those things that will draw you back into that place again of where you once were. The word gath means wine press, and it's one of the five major cities of the Philistines, and it was the home city of Goliath. So I love seeing Gath getting taken down. Jabna means building of God, and, and Ashdod means powerful, and Judah, surrounded by these perennial enemies, goes out in the hand of the Lord and defeats him. Look at verse seven. And God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians, and he lived in Gerbal, who, and who lived in Gerbal and against the Mayunites. Guys, when you step out in faith and you ask God to, to lead you and direct you and then you obey him, do you think God's going to abandon you? When you step out, God will be with you. When you get out of your comfort zone and want to be used by the Lord, I promise you when, when you walk by faith, when the Lord is leading, I promise you that God will not leave you alone. He's not going to, so now what does Uzziah do? He's being stirred up by the Lord. He steps out in faithful obedience. The Lord shows up with him. And this 16-year-old boy is taking care of business with the surrounding enemies that for so long had been a sword in their side. The word there, it says, against the Arabians and dwelt. It says that God helped him. The word for help there is actually a derivative of the word for the Holy Spirit. And so literally, you know, the Lord helped him. God's hand was upon him. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? God can use a 16-year-old who's faithful more than somebody else who's not. The Philistines and Arabians had caused great trouble for Jehoram, Uzziah's great-great-grandfather. Way back in chapter 21, said the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and Arabians that were near the Ethiopians, and they came up into Judah and broke into it and carried away the substance that was found in the king's house and his son also and his wives, so that never a son left to him says Jehoaz, the youngest of his sons. Here's what he does. He's getting revenge in a sense. His ancestors were taken captive. They had stolen things that were in the temple. And he goes back and he brings righteous judgment. With his heart to make war against the ancient enemies, it's no, long, it's no wonder that God helped him. Second Chronicles 16.9, one of my many life verses you guys have all heard it before. For the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for men and women who will say, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm in. Lord, whatever the question is, answer is yes. He might not give you direction right away. You'd be faithful to where you are until he does. But I love that heart. The Philistines lost two major cities and again, backing the enemies away from Judah and giving them greater peace and safety. See, they were on top of them. 
So he brought victory. Now keep in mind, the enemies are surrounding them and their wall is down because of what his dad did. And so what does he do? He gives them some room. He goes out and beats the enemies, right? Destroys them, moves them back. And now we're going to see him go back in and restore everything that was destroyed during the reigns of his dad and his grandfather. And praise God for that. You don't have to follow the example if you had ungodly parents. Verse 8, and the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. So here he is. He goes out and wins some battles. The word is out. And so what happens? Look at there in verse 8. The Ammonites came and gave him tribute. You know what that means? Here's some money. Don't kill us. It literally means he's, they are submitting to him. Hey, he wiped out the Philistines. He's wiping, he, he's wiping out the enemies. Uh, we could be next. I say we bring that brother some stuff so he'll leave us alone. Tell him that we'll submit to him. We're going to surrender to him. So here he is. Because God is with him, other people recognize it. They don't want anything to do with him. They don't want to battle against him because if God is for us, who can be against us? So now they're submitting to him, this young king, again, who's new in his rule. Tribute is a tax recognizing their lower place under Judah, and it's a sign of the strength of Uzziah's kingdom. Notice it says he strengthened himself. The word means to make strong, to make firm, to display strength, to make severe, to support, repair, prevail. Now, we're going to see later that when you become really strong on your own, that's when you need to be careful. When God is using you or you're in a place where, where you're being successful and anytime we're successful, God gets all the glory. Amen? Whatever gifts we may have, they come from the Lord. God gets all the glory. But what will happen sometimes when you have a gift, people will start to praise you. That's what's happening with Uzziah. He became strong. The other nations were afraid. The word was out. His fame was spreading. And the problem is you need to be careful in times like that because people will start to praise you and you will fall into the same trap that Satan fell into in heaven when the angels saw how you know, glorious he was and they start to align with him against God. And before you know it, he's thrown out of heaven. May we never fall into the trap of thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Amen? But he strengthens himself. And he's, his fame is spread. A dangerous time, not only for a king, but for all of mankind. Because with success comes a temptation to become prideful. Again, to listen to the praise of men. To take credit for what God has done. Again, pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. And humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Verse 9, And Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, at the corner buttress of the wall. Then he fortified them. So here's what happens. He, he defeats all the enemies, and now he's going to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem because it's been torn down. And so here's a man that understands what's important. So first, I got the enemies that were on our back, and I've defeated all of them. I'm getting tributes from other people that gives me the wealth I need. And now I'm going to rebuild the wall of the city to protect the people. Now, this may seem subtle to you, but a lot of kings, when they win battles, you know what they do? They build palaces for themselves. 
They have a big parade for themselves. They let everybody know how amazing that they are. Like King Saul when he brought back Agag after defeating the Amalekites. Let's, do, let's have a big parade and have everybody tell me how amazing that I am. He doesn't do any of that. Uzziah instead takes the spoils of war and he's going to rebuild the city. We're going to see in a moment, he's going to replant crops as far as the eyes can see. He's going to put up towers so that they can see the enemies coming when they're coming in their direction. Here's a man who's taking his calling as king seriously. He's not trying to build himself up. He's trying to minister to the people that God has given him to lead. Boy, could we use someone like that in our country right about now? Amen? This time of peace, Uzziah does not build palaces for himself, but repairs the walls and the gates that have been torn down after being defeated by, the, by, by King Joash during his father's reign. That was Amaziah. Notice also, it says also, verse 10, he built towers in the desert. He dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers and wine pressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. I have an idea that no, there's not another king in the Bible that is referred to as loving the soil. You know what this tells me? This guy's a down-to-earth guy, literally. Amen? This is a guy who loves to plant. This is a guy who's out there Hey, let's be prosperous. He's thinking not one month ahead or one year ahead. He's going to reign for 52 years. So what is he doing? He's going to plant new crops. He's working in the soil. He's a farmer. He's a rancher. He's putting up towers again so they can see the enemy coming from a great distance. Why is he doing all this? So that the people that he's leading will never starve. So the people that he's leading are protected. And so here he is. He's being an amazing king. And the people, no doubt, are watching this young man and say, man, all our enemies have been defeated and pushed away. And that wall's been rebuilt. And they've made it even, they fortified the rest of the wall all around it. And then they put up towers. So now we can see the enemy coming and we have a place we can run into if we're coming to a place where the enemy's chasing us. And now we have all these crops that are being built as far as the, uh, being planted as far as the eyes can see. And look how prosperous we've become. And it's because this one young man sought the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, he prospered. And because of his faithfulness, the entire nation was being blessed. The only reason that our country has any blessing whatsoever is because of the godly remnant that is still here. Amen? I know I mentioned it. Last Saturday was one of the most glorious days of my life. 4,500 people got baptized. They're saying that might have been the, great, the largest baptism in the history of our country. And in the midst of everything that's going, 20,000 people were there watching and praising God and cheering. And as quick as I'd baptize somebody and pray for them, and then I, they, and another person would come. And the whole day, this is what we were doing. And it was so glorious because we look at the world around us, and it's such a mess right now. But isn't it good to know that God's still at work, that people are still getting saved, people are still getting baptized and making public proclamations of their faith in Jesus Christ? Guys, God is still on the throne. God is still in control. We, I read the end of the book and God wins, amen? So in the midst of the difficulty, let's not give up and let's praise God when he is at work. 
So he builds these towers in the desert and in Jerusalem. And this was a source of oversight, protection, and safety. And again, how do we recognize that we'd be able to see the, the attacks of the enemy coming? How do we recognize when the enemy attacks? Where do we run for safety? The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18.10, write that down. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are, they're safe. Amen? So for us, we don't run into a tower. We run to the Lord. Amen? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into him and they are safe. We hold on to the Lord. We trust in the Lord. We follow the Lord. We pursue the Lord. We seek after the Lord. And again, a tower is a place to run to when danger, a place to find safety and protection. And again, the Lord is our strong tower. And in him, we find protection from the enemies. Again, he dug many wells for that livestock, both in the lowlands. He was a farmer. And I love this picture, a, a good, solid, down-to-earth guy enlarging the agricultural footprint for his people. Again, the increasing the food supply, making sure people are fed. And notice he's not focused on his fame. He's not having a parade for himself. He's seeking only to serve the people. He is focused on caring for people. He was called by God to lead, to do what was best for the kingdom, to protect them and to provide for them. And that's a great example for all of us. Guys, live for the Lord and be faithful to minister to the needs of those that God has called you to lead. It's not about you making a name for yourself, but loving God and serving people. Real quickly, I had another divine appointment, a couple yesterday, I get them every day. But last night, a week from, a little over a week from now, my wife and I are going to be flying to the Virgin Islands. I know, feel, feel bad for us, but it's for, it's for our son's wedding. Our son's getting married, and we're flying there for his wedding. And my other son and his wife called me and said they changed all our flights. I'd booked them four months ago. They changed all our flights. We're getting it at a different time. We're not going to connect on the same flights with you guys. So I was on the phone last night for two hours with American Airlines. That's kind of fun, right? And, and I, was, I wasn't angry, but I was a little frustrated. And I kept getting put on hold and, you know, and, you know all that Muzak that you can hear playing and all that, right? And I'm a little frustrated. And the lady's helping me, and I finally got it fixed. We're all going to connect in Miami. We're all going to get there together at the same time, and it's all good. But here's the great part. I'm frustrated, kind of like when we had the two planes that, it got re, that the flights got canceled and we ended up witnessing to somebody. The lady says to me at the end, hey, you're my last call of the day. Can I ask you a favor? I said, of course. She said, are you a pastor? I said, yes, I am. She said, yeah, I saw that your email is davidjohnston at calvarychapel.com. I thought you were a pastor. So tomorrow I'm flying to Dallas because my mom is having surgery and they don't know if she's going to make it. Can you pray with me for my mom? So I spent 15 minutes on the phone with her because her day was over. We prayed together. I prayed for her. And you know what? Divine appointments. Can I get an amen to that? See, I was frustrated, <laughs> but sometimes God allows us to be frustrated because God has a plan. Amen. You know what? She must've said to me three times. I've been praying all day that I could reach out to a pastor somewhere so he could pray with me. And you're my last call of the day. Can I get an amen to that? So let's be looking for divine appointments and look for opportunities to share with people. Let's be available so that people can be ministered to. Amen. So point number two, they're focused on caring for others not promoting yourself. I did tell her at the end of the call, 
I go, I was a little frustrated. She goes, you didn't seem like it. You were being very nice. I said, but I'm a little frustrated. Two hours on the phone at 11 o'clock at night, not really what I want to do, but I'm thankful that it happened. Amen. Again, we want to focus on people, not us being inconvenienced. Point number three, remain humble, broken, and usable. Be prepared for the daily battle with the enemy. Look at verse 11. So not only does he set up the plains, the soil is being tilled and you know, agriculture's growing and uh, the food's growing up and the towers are in place, but watch what else he does. Look at verse 11. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number of their role as prepared by Jalil, the, score, the scribe, and Masai, the officer, under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of chief officials of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. And under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Then Uzziah prepared for them for the entire army shields and spears and helmets and body armor and bows and slings to cast stones. And he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones stones, so his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. Now, let me go back and talk about these in a moment. So, first of all, he builds up an army. So, even though God is for us, we still have to be prepared to fight against the enemy. Amen? So, the enemy is real. Now, again, we don't address the enemy. We don't talk to the enemy. We don't cast out the enemy. You leave that in God's hands. Amen. But we need to be prepared every day. So we can't just say, well, God's on my side. So I don't need to read my Bible. God's on my side. So I don't need to spend time in prayer. God's on my side. I don't need to be in fellowship. Yeah, no, we need all of that. And so he's, so he's, he's got the, the, the place is safe from attack, but now he's building up an army uh, preparing again, not only for attack, but if they have to go into battle. Now, what's amazing about this, when you, if those of you are going to Israel with us, hopefully when we go to Israel, we'll go up to their bunker that's up really high, and you'll look, be able to look down on Har Megiddo, Armageddon. And what's amazing is Israel's army, for the si- they're the size of Rhode Island, okay? And their army's one of the top five in the world. If, 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 they would be able to just be let loose. I think they could smoke the entire Middle East by themselves. Wipe them out. Why? God has his hand on Israel. Amen? God's not done with Israel. They're still God's chosen people. Now, what's interesting is, I'm telling you all this, because let me read what I read here again. Notice some of these things that they had here. It talks about the number of chief officials, mighty men of valor. There's 2,600 mighty men of valor who are leading the army. And you know what you need to have a successful army? Mighty men of valor leading the way. You know what you need to have godly families? Mighty men of valor leading the way. You know what you need to have godly cities and godly churches and godly... Mighty men of valor leading the way. Amen? And these mighty men of valor are leading the way, and they got 307,000 guys. And even though God is for them, notice what he does. He equips them with the best possible uh, armor puts on armor. They've got shields. They're ready for battle. So notice he's taking care of the details. He doesn't just blow it off. 
He's like, no, we need to train them. We need to put the right guys in charge. We need to armor them up so when they fight the enemy, they're protected. But I want you to see something here in verse 14 and 15. Prepare for them shields, spears, armor, bows, slings to cast stones. Then it talks about it again here. And he made devices in Jerusalem, invented them. They invented weapons. Uzziah goes to the smartest guys in town and says, hey, let's come up with some weapons. Let's invent some stuff. Now look what these weapons are. They're on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he marvelously helped till he became strong. So they cast large stones. You know what that sounds like to me? A catapult. And I think it was invented right here. There's, I was looking at history, and they believe the first catapults that people talk about was hundreds of years later. But what in the world else do you have that casts large rocks from on top of a, a, a wall? And so here he is. He's not only making sure they're protected. He's not only making sure they're fed. He's not only making sure, again, the focus is on the Lord. He's not only making, taking none of the credit for himself, but he's building up a mighty army. He's building up weaponry. Now, do you think he might be a popular king? Do you think that people might love this guy right about now? That's why later in Isaiah 6 verse 1, when King Uzziah died, the people saw the Lord. See, they were so focused on Uzziah that some of them didn't even look to the Lord. Hey, man, we got Uzziah. We're set. We got Uzziah. We're good. We talked about this on Sunday, the false prophet. The false prophet is going to point people to the Antichrist, who's a political leader. We got a lot of people that are supposed to be spiritual leaders pointing to political leaders as the answer, and politicians are not the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. Amen? We don't follow after the world. We follow after the Lord. And here we see him being faithful. He's taking his calling seriously. He's not doing it halfway. I say this a lot around our guys. I've said it for years. And when you look at something and it's being done well, I'll turn to somebody and say, you know what that is? And they'll go, what? I'll say, calling. When you see something done with excellence, whether it's leading worship or teaching a message or setting up the table in the back, when it's done well and you see that it's done well, you say, that's someone who's called and is taking that seriously. Amen? And right here, he's called and he's taking it seriously. Now, his fame has spread. He's become strengthened. And now, here comes the warning. So he's got this army of 370,000 men who are powered up. He's got these mighty men of valor leading the way. He's got slings to cast stones. He's got advanced weaponry. He's invented with skillful men, created new weapons to shoot arrows and large stones from towers on the corners of the fortress. He's provided agriculturally. He's reinforced and repaired their broken down walls. He's built towers that could help detect the enemy from afar off. His army was well equipped. He led, they're led again by men of valor, fought with mighty power, had skillful men, created the most advanced weaponry. And it's any wonder that his fame spread. So Uriah 
provided, protected, prepared his army, raised up valiant leaders, repaired broken down walls, built new towers, equipped the army, invented new weapons, an amazing king, and no doubt brought great peace and confidence among his people. And then it says there, he was marvelously helped until he became strong. The word again there, helped, is the Lord's help. So the Lord was helping him. But notice when it says the Lord was helping him until he what? Became what? So when he became strong, the inclination here is he didn't see that he needed the Lord's help anymore. Lord, I I was desperate before because the wall was broken down. I was desperate before because we were running low on food. I was desperate before because our army hadn't been trained and we didn't have any, you know, and I was desperate before because our guys were not properly armed and didn't have the proper armor. But here's the problem. Once you have the armor and the walls back up and the, and the army's in place and you got plenty of food and it seems like you don't need to be desperate anymore. And it's been said more people have fallen because of prosperity than adversity. Sometimes when you have so much, you cease to be desperate for God. And that's something that's taking place in our country all the time. By the way, if you don't know it, compared to the rest of the world, you're rich. Amen? You got a bed to go lay in tonight? You got food in the fridge? You're richer than most of the world. And so what happens is we become complacent because we have so much. We cease to be humble, broken, and desperate. And that's exactly what is going to happen to King Uzziah. And this is heartbreaking, these next few verses. Look at verse 16. Just absolutely breaks your heart. It says, know that pride will lead to destruction and defeat. But when he was strong in his own heart and was lifted up to his destruction, For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. When he was strong in his own eyes, when he felt like he was strong and he felt like he didn't need anybody else's help, when he ceased to be desperate for God, when he ceased to be humble and broken, that's when we're in danger. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So now he's prideful and notice what he did. This is no small thing. Who is allowed to go into the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place to burn incense? Who is allowed to go in there? Who knows? Just the priests. And they are descendants of who? Of Aaron. So only the priest, again, the tabernacle, as we know, you got the altar, bronze altar where they make sacrifice. Then you have the bronze laver where they would cleanse themselves. This is a picture of the cross. This is a picture of baptism. But then you would, back then, they, you know, at this time, you, if the temple wasn't there yet, it uh, needed to be rebuilt. And if there was a temple or a tabernacle, you would go through a door and then you would have the altar of incense, right? A golden lampstand, the altar of incense, and a table of showbread. Again, Jesus is the bread of life. He's the light of the world. So those would go in and keep the lights, the lamps lit. And they would also go in and make, make new bread twelve for each of the 12 tribes. And then they would go into the altar of incense, which was right outside the Holy of Holies. And they would make sure that incense was burning 24 hours a day. And that incense would go up over the veil into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. 
Remember the Ark of the Covenant? It's a box, not a boat. Amen. Remember, it's got the mercy seat. And inside the ark, we had uh, the bronze, we have the the uh, all we have the the staff, Aaron's rod, we have a jar of manna, and the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the word, he's the great high priest, he's the bread of life, amen. And then on top of it, you had the two angels, and their wings touched. And only on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, would the high priest go in and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat and Again, there would be blood in the middle, angels on the end. We know that when they ran into the tomb on Resurrection Sunday, what they see? Angels on each end, blood stained clothes in the middle. It was all pointing to Jesus. But here's that altar of incense, which represents prayer. What is Jesus doing right now? What's he doing? He's interceding on our behalf. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Jesus is praying for you. How many of you guys need to hear that again? Jesus is praying for you. Amen? So being king has now gone to the head of Uzziah. And he walks in, grabs a hold of a censer, walks into the holy place, and is going to go burn incense inside the holy place, something only the priest can do. He was taking the place of the priest when he was the king. Now, we know in Scripture, nobody is king and priest. Why is that? King, priest, and prophet. Some kings had the gift to prophesy, but none of them were priests. You know why? Because Jesus is the king, the prophet, and the great high priest. Amen? Only he can fulfill all those roles. So what is he doing? He's putting himself in the place of the Lord by going in. So here he is. He was a man being used mightily by God. His fame is spreading. The people love him, no doubt crying out his name. They're secure. They're safe. God's being glorified. The towers are up. The weapons are ready. Bring the enemy, ready to go. And what does he do? He gets caught up in himself thinks of himself more highly than he ought to. Well, I'm the king. I can go anywhere I want. I'm in charge. I can do whatever I want. And sadly, he marches into a place where he did not belong. The word lifted up there means haughty, arrogant, or exalted. He was lifted up. He became arrogant. And again, more men and women fall due to prosperity than they do adversity. You know, adversity most of the time drives us to our knees. Amen? You know, when we're going through a tough time, a lot of times, I mean, I get calls a lot from people who are not Christians, but they know I'm a pastor. I got two texts today from two different people that I used to work with saying, hey, Dave, hope your retirement's going well. Hey, can you pray for my uncle, which I'm happy to do? Hey, can you pray? My, my, my husband's going in for surgery tomorrow. Can you pray for him? Absolutely. But where do they, they run in times of adversity, people who probably never pray, who think, well, who do I know who prays? Well, let me call people who I know pray and have them pray, right? And so what happens is you've got people that when they're in adversity, more than other, any other time, I think that makes people look up. But when you're in a time of prosperity, you think you got it nailed. I got, I got all these followers. I got money in the bank. I'm looking Rico Suave. The workout's going on. I get it right. And you start getting full of yourself and you cease to be desperate for God. That's Uzziah. Uzziah, what are you doing, bro? You're killing me. It says, you know, it's interesting. The more wealthy we become, the less desperate we, can, we, we usually are for God. 
if we're not careful. Amen? Because again, great wealth. You know the most passionate people I've ever seen for the Lord in my life? Bar none. India. Went to India seven times and taught up to a thousand pastors how to study and teach the Bible. Many of them coming out of Hinduism or Islam. So they're new believers. They're in Bible college. We're training them and they're going to go out two by two and plant churches and village, villages. And when they went out to the villages, they would dig graves for themselves on the outside of the village. And they would let the people know in the village, we're not leaving. We're going to preach Jesus. If you kill us, we've already dug our graves because we're not going anywhere. Okay. We need a few of those folks at our church. Can I get into that? But what's amazing is I would teach all day and then they would take me to a village church every night. And then I would teach on Saturdays and Sundays at village churches. And I would go out to these churches and I would get there and they've been waiting all day. And some of them have walked five, six, eight miles barefoot because they can't afford shoes. And they've walked all that way and they've been sitting on this concrete floor waiting for eight hours because they've heard somebody's going to come and teach the Bible. And then when they worship, they bring the roof off of that place. When they're worshiping, it is so loud. They're, it's 50 people. It sounds like 5,000. And they have such a hunger for God. And, and then I would teach for two hours, and they're like, you just keep teaching. Just, just, uh, that doesn't happen here. They go, hey, I get this in 55 minutes. Does he know what time it is? Hey, here's the thing. They're so hungry, they're so passionate, and they want the Lord. And do you, well, let me just tell you this, and they're some of the poorest people you've ever met. They don't have shoes. They live in places without electricity, if they've got a roof. They eat rice. That's what they live on. And they're passionate for God. Because you know what? Sometimes when the Lord is all we have, we realize he's all we need. Amen? And, and I'm not saying the love of money is the root of all evil. Having money is not evil, but if money becomes more important than God, it is. Amen? We need to be careful of that. So notice it says here in verse 16, it says there, to his own, to his destruction. Prosperity always puts the soul in danger of pride, of a heart being lifted up. Again, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It says, for he transgressed against the Lord. See, when he went into that temple, there was a command that you were not to go. And the word transgress there means that he knew that what he was doing was wrong. He knew that God said no, and he did it anyway. Now, none of us have ever sinned like that before, right? How many of you guys have sinned that way this week? God, you know God says, no, you don't, don't, don't watch that. Don't do that. Don't look at that. Don't talk that way. Don't be that way. Don't treat people that way. Don't, uh, you know, don't get angry. Whatever that is. And, and then we know it's wrong, and we do it anyway. Well, that's exactly what Uzziah does. He knows I'm not allowed to go in there. He knows that it's been commanded by God. He knows only the high priest can go. And he says, I don't care. I make my own rules. I'm going in. And then he went. And he transgressed the way of the Lord. And sadly, he's trying to take a place that only belongs to the Lord. In doing this, Uzziah is violating God's divine order. Prayer intercession with God can only come on his terms. Here's what he's trying to say. I'm going to approach God my own way. I don't need to come through the high priest. I can just come my own way. And isn't that what the world does today? We have a great high priest. What's his name? 
Jesus. So you can only come to the Father through Jesus. And we have people who will try to come to God without coming through Jesus. And if you don't come through the, to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, you are yelling down a well and wasting your time. Amen? But the world thinks they can just come to God any old way. Well, I come to God in my own way. I meet God out on the waves. I meet God at the, you know, at the golf, at the golf course. You know, I meet God watching the NFL on Sundays. I just come to God my own way. I have a relationship with God. And here's my favorite. I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not really, I'm just spiritual. What does that mean? What do you mean you're spiritual? Mean you have a spirit? Yeah, you do. Now it's going to spend eternity somewhere. Do you know where? Amen. But so here he is. He knows it's wrong. He chooses to do it. And what he's trying to do is come to God in his own way. He's circumventing God's way, God's plan. Aren't you glad that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me? Isn't it good to know that there's one way God said to get to heaven and Jesus is the only way? Isn't it good to know that we don't have to try to figure out which of the 550 ways qualify? We know that it's the Lord. He's the answer. We don't need to look anywhere else to anybody else. He alone is the source of salvation. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. He's adopted us into his family and he suffered and died on the cross so you can have eternal life. That's our Savior, amen? And we follow him. And him alone. And we don't try to come to God any other way. And when someone else does, we need to let them know, dude, that don't work. Muhammad won't get you there. Your good works won't get you there. Jesus is the only way. Notice what happens. Now, I love these priest dudes. And I tell you guys, I've got a li- I'll probably won't remember when I get to heaven. Maybe I will. But I write down people like, dude, I want to have a Coke with that guy. Okay? Here's some more dudes I want to hang out with. Look at verse 17. So Azariah, the priest went after him, and with him 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but the priests and the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Now this is brave because he is the king. And he got have anybody put to death that he wants to. But I love that these guys Don't worry about honoring a king. They worry about honoring God. Amen? Now, we submit to the authorities God has placed over us till they tell us to dishonor God, and then we tell them not so much. Amen? I've got more of a passion for that than anything these days. I want to, I've told you this repeatedly. I don't care what happens in the future. I don't care how many times I try to close a church. We are never going to stop having church. I don't care. Why? Because when they tell us to do something contrary to what the word of God says, we choose to obey God and not man. And here's what happens. This king is in there and these priests rally up and they come at him hard. Dude, get out of here. You don't belong here. I don't care if you are the king. You've transgressed against God. Dude, you're in trouble. Now, he has a choice right here. He's been called out in his sin. When confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. Make excuses, accuse others, or repent. Let's see how King Uzziah, who was walking with God, who was being used mightily by God, who was being blessed by God, he's found himself in a place he doesn't belong. He's been stabbed in the front, as you hear me often say, right? He's being convicted. This is what you've done. It's wrong. And I believe if he repents right here, that he's forgiven. But watch what he does instead. It's really tragic. Notice again, they 
withstood the king. They came out hard against him. They told him. And again, when the world, the world is going to tell us as believers, there's certain things we have to do. And we should never listen to the world when it tells us to do anything that's contrary to the word of God. Amen? I don't care what the pressure is. I don't care what they say. We honor God. We don't honor men. Again, so he had sinned knowingly. It's the highest expression of pride to disregard what God has said and do what you want anyway. And again, he said, they say, you shall have no honor from the Lord. So you can have rebellion or fellowship, choose one. You cannot be in rebellion with God and walk in fellowship with God at the same time. You cannot live a life of open rebellion against God, mocking him, shaking your fist at him, and walking in fellowship with him at the same time. So watch what happens as we finish up here. Look at verse 19. And then Uzziah became repentant and fell on his knees and said, Lord, please forgive me. Is that what it says? What does it say? He became what? Furious. He became furious. He had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead. How does God feel about this? So he comes into the place. He has trespassed. He's been confronted Make excuses, accuse others, or repent. And what does he do? He gets angry. Instead of being broken and humbled, he's prideful. How dare you? I'm the king. Nobody talks to me that way. These priests make a stand knowing it could cost their lives. He gets furious. He starts to chastise the king, and all of a sudden, leprosy breaks out on his forehead. The and I can imagine that the way he figured it out is by the looks on the face of all the priests that were standing there. Because if there's a place you don't want a huge pimple to break out, it's probably on your forehead because everyone can see it, right? So the leprosy breaks out on his forehead. Now, leprosy is a death penalty in those days. And leprosy is a picture of what sin does. It destroys us. It kills us. And so the leprosy breaks out, and watch what happens Leprosy broke on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. So he's inside the holy place and it breaks out on him. God is making it clear. Look, he could have repented. I believe God would have showed him grace. Because he didn't repent, righteous judgment came. And righteous judgment came very, very quickly. He's angry with the priest. Leprosy breaks out. And again, it's basically a death warrant. Most obvious place, it couldn't be hidden. And God's word is the authority, not man, no matter his position. God's word is the authority. You were not to be here. You did it anyway. You're going to pay the consequences. Then it says in verse 20, and Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead was leprous. So they thrust him out of the place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. So before, when they told him to get out, he stood firm. Now the Lord brings righteous judgment, and he's going to run for his life. So tragic, this man of God at the beginning of this chapter, this man who was doing so many right and godly things, and now what happens? A moment of pride, when he became strong in his own eyes, when he ceased to be desperate for God, he decided he was going to disregard what the word of God said, the commands of God, and transgress against it because he was far more worried about himself. You know, there's other times in the Bible where people were struck with leprosy. You guys remember Miriam? Remember that? Tried to overthrow her brother. Who's Moses? Why is he in charge? I want to be in charge. Leprosy. All of a sudden, she don't want to be in charge anymore. And the good news is God took it away after seven days. 
Guess what? He's never going to take it away from Uzziah. Notice what happens. Let's finish up. It says, And King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Here's what happened. He wanted to go in the holy of holies, and be, or the holy place, not the holy of holies. But because he had violated that, now with leprosy, he can't even be in the outer court. He can't even be around people anymore. He's isolated either by himself with other lepers. He's going to be alone. Now, he's going to live 11 more years. But during that time, his son Jotham's going to reign. He's still going to be the king, but he can't go near people. He can't leave the place of isolation. And you know what sin does? Sin isolates us from God. Amen? Again, sin we know is an archery term. It's a distance between perfection and where the, where the arrow lands. It's called the sin distance. And so as sinners, we've separated ourselves from God. And because of his sin, he's isolated where he was once in fellowship with God. God was helping him. God was for him. God was on his side. And because of his disobedience now, he has been separated from God. Then it says in the last two verses, now the rest of the acts, last point, sin separates and isolates. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from the first to the last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos wrote, so Uzziah rested with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers in a field of burial, which belonged to the kings, for they said he is a leper. Then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. So Uzziah, a lot of you have heard the verse, when Uzziah died, the people saw the Lord. Because what had happened before, they had put her faith in a king, and once the king died, they had to rest in the Lord. It's important that we remember his life. He became king at 16. He reigned for 52 years, 41 of them doing really well. Overall, he was a good and strong king who led Israel in many victories, was energetic, a builder, a visionary. But despite all that, he has a tragic end, and the reason that he does is he became self-sufficient, strong in himself, focused on himself, ceased to be desperate for God. So seek the Lord and prosper. Focus on caring for others, not promoting yourself. Remain humble, broken, and usable. Know that pride will lead to destruction and defeat, and sin separates and isolates. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the practical applications it has for our lives. Help us, Lord, not to be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. Help us, Lord, to never fall into that trap of becoming so prideful that we cease to be desperate for you. Lord, we know we're going to battle with that. Help us, Lord, to remain humble, broken, and desperate, to seek first your kingdom and your glory. Lord, we ask all these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said... See,